Well, this morning we have opportunity to continue our series in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, and I encourage you to take a, a Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 14. Lord willing, we'll get to Genesis 14 and 15 today in a rather rapid fashion. Um, hopefully I'll learn the lesson from this morning, and I won't speak faster than my lips can actually pronounce words. Um, before we do that, let's uh, look to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to hear from you and hear from your word, and we pray you might take uh, what you have revealed to us and apply them to our lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen. If you have your outline this morning, it's entitled, When Life Happens, What Can You Do? Have you noticed that life does happen? And what I mean by that are those things in your, in your life that maybe you hadn't particularly planned for, uh, that's not some of the things you anticipated. In fact, if you were thinking ahead, you were hoping would not happen, actually happen. Well, uh, the last two or three weeks, there's some things interesting enough that have happened in the, the Johnson family that lives on Shadowfax Drive in Lake Forest. And I thought I'd just uh, share with you a few things that, that have happened to us. Uh, about two weeks ago, Alice was driving away from Costco. She just finished uh, purchasing some things. She stopped at a stoplight. Some of you have heard this story, uh, parts of it, is that she stopped at the stoplight. There was a person who did not stop at the stoplight and hit her from behind. And as she was hit from behind, she got out and did what everybody else does, is you exchange information. And as she exchanged information, um, she received his... Um, actually, she did not receive his stuff, but she... No, yeah, this is what happened, yes. He was riding up. I can't even remember what happened, okay, because it didn't happen to me. But anyway, it, uh, she, was, he was, she was receiving what his information was on a sheet of paper. He tore it in half and gave her a half, and she took it and put it in her purse. When she got home, she realized the part he gave her was not the part that he wrote on, but it was a blank part of the paper. And then we got home and discovered that, um, that this was one of our cars that did not have collision on it, did have uninsured motorists, but our particular insurance company said, well, if it's only uninsured motorists, unless we know the person doesn't have insurance because we actually contact them, that doesn't work for you and your claim is not covered. So that happened about two weeks ago. And, and then uh, uh, in the same t- week period of time, have you ever had things back up in your, uh, uh, your bathroom? Well, we discovered that there was a, there was, we live in, we live in an area with a lot of eucalyptus trees, and there had been roots that had gone into our sewer system, and so we had to call the plumber out and do this rotor-rooter thing in our particular car, our particular home. And, and then uh, we were looking in our family room the other day, and we were uh, all again within the last two or three weeks, and we saw some droppings from the ceiling, and uh, you look at them closely, it's not dust, it has a little bit different texture to it, and it's the droppings of termites. But we're thinking that's okay because we have, we've planned ahead. We have a contract that's a year-round contract where they come in, they treat, treat your termites that might come because we live in a place with a lot of eucalyptus trees and we have termites coming in all the time. So uh, we contact them and all of a sudden we discover that this particular termite uh, company that we've actually had a relationship over the last seven years have now, has now gone out of business. business. You know, I don't know if you know this, but life, life happens. And then I, I, I usually run in the morning, really early in the morning, and I was uh, coming in from a run, again, the last two or three weeks, and I heard this dripping sound as I came into my garage. And I was thinking, well, maybe, maybe uh, there was something at my washer and dryer that wasn't you know, tied on just tightly enough, and I, I looked over there, it's pretty, pretty dry, and, and then I looked at my water heater, and then I discovered my water heater had rusted and had to replace the water heater. I don't know if you know, but dry, uh, life happens. And then, then um, I was looking at 
uh, you know, and in our facials at our home, and all of a sudden, you know, some of them look you know, like they were kind of flaking away, and I hit them a little bit, and I, and I discovered I had dry rot on some of my, my part. But that's okay, you know, life happens. And, and then, you know, have you noticed it's been a hot summer? Well, the, the, for some reason, our, our air conditioning unit wasn't really working, and we had quite a few 90, over, 90 plus days in our house because our, our air conditioning unit wasn't working in an optimum manner. You know, life happens. But you're th- finally thinking, you've you got it covered now. Things are basically over. And then I was out for a run early Saturday morning, came back, and now, so we, we got a call from Chase Card Services, and it, they called to notify us that our credit card had now been compromised. Now, life happens. <laughs> and, and the question for us, when, when life happens, what can you do? Now, I, if I don't say this later, I want to say it now. Those things that have happened to us in the last two or three weeks are just irritating. But they aren't the things that really are heartbreaking. And, and some of you have gone through that recently. You've lost loved ones. You've gone through a health challenge to the point where you weren't sure you were going to recover and you're not sure what your, your next days will be. You had a financial reversal. Oh, oh by the way, I didn't, I didn't even say this the first service. I got, I got a notice from my, my insurance company about my house insurance rate going up. And I think, how can it go up when my house value is going down? <laughs> but, you know, things happen. But those things are just the irritating things in life. There are much greater challenges. But, but, the, but, but the, the question still is apropos for all of us. When life happens, not only what can you do, what will you do? And in Genesis chapter 14 and 15, we see life happening, not only to Abram, but to his nephew Lot. And, and there were some things that, that Lot needed to learn. And I think we need to as well when, when life happens. Now, Genesis chapter 14 begins with some names which are unpronounceable. And I tried to pronounce them in the first service. And let me tell you, the only way to pronounce names in the Bible that you don't know how to pronounce is fast and loud, like you know what you're doing. I'm not going to even try that. So we're going to pick up the count in Genesis chapter 14, verse 8. But the backstory of this is there's there's a confederacy of kings that are ruling the area. And the people they're ruling over don't like it. And after 12 years of being under under bondage, they decide to rebel. They rebel a little bit, but then they come back, and now they're going to wipe them out. Not wipe them out, they're going to really take a stronghold in their land. And and what we do is we pick up the story of that happening. Interesting enough, archaeologically, they found out that these particular places and kings have some extra-biblical confirmation that this was true in this land during this period of time. And, and you have this one king. This king is uh, Shador Lamor. And what he does, he's the kind of the main king over this area that comes into the land. And the land he's going to come into is the place in which Lot has planted. Look at verse 8. And the king of Sodom, the king of G- uh, Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zebulun, and the king of Bela, that is Zora, went out and joined together in battle in the valley of Sidim against Shadorim, king of Elam, Tittle, king of nations, Eraphel, king of Shinar, and Erechah, king of Eleazar. Four kings against five. And one thing you ought to really think about before you go into battle is if you're going to go into battle, make sure you can 
win. Right. Well, they went in battle, but they weren't going to win. All right, verse 10. Now the valley of Siddim was full of asphalt pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some actually fell there. Can you imagine going into a battle, and you're battling, and all of a sudden you fall in this sinkhole? Well, that's what happened to them. And to the remainder fled of the mountains. Then they, the opposing kings, took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelled in Sodom, and his goods and departed. And so we have a kind of a Reader's Digest statement of what happened during Lot's experience, or at least part of his experience, in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. And what happened is that because he lived in a, a land in which war was a common experience, and as we know in Genesis 13, a place that was filled with wickedness, he was in a place in which he had chosen to go and that choice proved to be unwise. If you're going to be in a worn, torn area, do not be surprised that you will experience the, the ramifications of people being in war. And what happened, his whole family and everything he owned was taken captive back to another land. Now, the point I want to make very simply, when life happens, is that we need to realize that when life happens, we need to admit something. We need to admit that you, we are usually part of the reason we're in our predicament. When we get in a mess, so often we can look back and realize that we're part of the reason we're in that mess. There's something that we have done. Now, I don't want to throw... Alice under, under the bus here, but she's not here. She was in the first service, so I'll go ahead and just tell you. But don't tell her I said this, all right? It, is that she could have prevented us from not being um, uncovered by that particular accident is when she got the information from the person who hit her from behind. Oh, by the way, they did have cameras, but we found out the cameras weren't turned on. <laughs> but anyway, the... Um, the uh, if she had chosen, instead of when she got the information, not simply put it in her purse to look at it when she got home, but to what? Look at it then. But she's not the only one to blame. And some of the things we had, you know, one of the reasons that we had some, some problem with our air conditioning during the hottest periods of time is because I forgot, chose not to diligently replace some of the filters in our air conditioning unit. And so some of the, sometimes it, it just, it's just annoying when you want somebody to blame, the only person you can do is what? Blame yourself. And what happened to Lot could have been prevented. Because remember we found in Genesis 13 that, that Abram gave him a gracious opportunity to pick which part of the land he wanted. And all he did is look at the superficial. He saw a rich, fertile land. But he was also well aware that it was a wicked land. And he chose to look at, at the carrot rather than the stick. And what happened there is he was unafraid of what might happen to him. He was concerned about it because in Genesis 13, verse 12, it says that when he first went into this area, he pitched his tents toward Sodom. But when we get to Genesis 14, 12, it says this, he dwelt in Sodom. And sometimes when we are in a mess, we need to recognize that how we got there is we made some unwise choices. And usually one unwise choice leads to an un another unwise choice. He, he chose, first of all, to get close to Sodom, and then he went and got in Sodom. You know, isn't it interesting how, how sometimes people don't think through the simplest things in life? You know, if, if I have an issue with alcohol and I have a hard time controlling alcohol, you know, I shouldn't get buffalo wings at a bar, right? But that's what some people do. If I'm struggling with my weight, you know, I don't go into a bakery to get my coffee. 
You know, if, if someone has a hard time um, not getting lost when he goes hiking on trails, he shouldn't go alone, you know. <laughs> I don't think you're ever going to forget that. All right? They laugh in the first third. You know? When certain things that you do happen more than once, then you realize you've got to change your course direction. And we're going to find out that Lot remained in Sodom and Gomorrah even after he got delivered. You know, as we think about the Scripture, the Scripture talks about God's story and our story. God's story is his big redemptive plan and, and, bring, and us bringing and him manifesting who he is and his glory. And our story is, is how that all is playing out in the midst of God's bigger plan. And when you think about what it means to get into God's plan, it all begins with admitting, isn't it? Admitting that you're the reason you're far away from God. And when Lot got captive, he had to recognize the reason I got taken captive is because that's where I was. It's interesting, geographically, Abram was within maybe eyesight of all this going on, but it passed right by him because he was not in that land conflict. Now, I don't know what it is in your life. I know some things I need to look at in my own life where sometimes I put myself in harm's way, and it's because of choices I'm making. And we need to recognize that, 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 that God wants us to, to recognize that we need to be concerned about what we're doing and who we're doing it with. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says this, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. And sometimes we look at it as, as people who are extremely evil is what's messing us up. Sometimes we have to be people extremely evil, but people who just lead ourselves away from what's most important, our affections for Christ. And so either we're influencing people or people are influencing us. And Lot chose to camp in a place in which it was dangerous for him and for his family. We need to admit that usually we're part of the reason that we're in the predicament we're in. Now, we know it's not always that Job. There's a whole book in the book of Job about he was a righteous man. But even then, he'd need to recognize that only God was holy and that we are submissive to him. But then we have the good news of the story. He's in a mess, and who's going to get him out of a mess? And what do you need to do when you're in a mess? You need to send for help as soon as you can. Send for help as soon as you can. There's some things we can fix on our own, but other things we can't fix on our own. I, I don't know how to treat termites. I had to find someone. Uh, did I tell you what happened to the termite? Oh, yeah, I already told you about the termite thing. Okay. Is we had to go out and get somebody else to come get the termite. We had to send for help as, as soon as we can because if you don't treat termites now, what's going to happen? There's going to be more damage and there's going to get more termites. Well, what does he do? He sends for help. Now, we don't have a whole lot of insight in the story, but we do have a little bit. Look at Genesis 14, verse 13. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram, the Hebrew. Interesting, the book of Genesis is the, is the book of beginnings. This is the first time the word Hebrew is ever used of Abram. Abram, the Hebrew, for, for he dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Ishkal and brother of Aner, and they were allies with Abram. Now, I'm taking something out of this text, but I think it's not looking into the text. It's not putting something in there that's not there. It is that when this one person, we don't know if it was a man or a woman, escaped, how or why would he go to Abram? Well, he must have had some kind of relationship with Lot. We'll call him a him for now, all right? It is that he had some kind of relationship with, with Lot, and maybe as he was making his escape, he had a conversation with Lot and said, hey, when you leave, go to my uncle, because I... No, I can count on my uncle. He will help me. Now, again, you have God's story and our story. 
And in your bio study this week, we're going to ask the question, when you're in time of need, do you have people with an earth suit on, with flesh and blood, that you can call for help? Uh, the, the loneliest thing in the world is to be all alone. It, is that when you're in a, in a predicament and there's no one you can call, uh, part of the reason God puts the church together is that, that we have people around us that we are in need. We, we don't feel bashful about calling people for help. And when Lot was in need, I'm assuming here he had talked to this one who had escaped and said, when, when you get out of this, go get Abram because he'll help me. Now, as simple as that is, there, there are a lot of reasons we don't ask people for help who can give us help. Sometimes we're afraid of what they're going to say. They're going to say, hey, I told you so. You, uh, you, you shouldn't have gone down there. That's your problem, not my problem. Uh, I don't want to put myself and my family in harm's risk, or whatever it might be. You, they might call you, you know, some kind of name, you, know, you, you fool, and you don't want to hear that. But the, the reality is you're in need, and you better cry out for help. Now, that, that's our story. God, what's God's story? God's story is when you come to, come to relationship with him, you've got to humble yourself and ask him for what? Help. And again, in the Bible study this week, we're going to talk about Jesus, that he's going to send us help, a helper. And you can't get help unless you ask for help. And so Abram is recruited. You know, in Psalm 121, verse 1 through 3, says this, I will lift up my eyes to the hills, and then the word there should be from, from whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Which simply says this, when you need help, you don't have to worry about God being too tired, taking a nap, incapable of helping you. He will help you. But we are to call out. Now, how does Abram pull this off? Verse 14 says this, Now, now when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. So he had, I don't know, the SEAL team, this... uh, this special forces black op group of guys that he could really kind of say, we're going to go out and get them. Now, when you think about this for a moment, you say, okay, he's got 318 guys that are really strong and, and well-trained, and, and they're going to be able to pull this off. But you've but you got to think, wait a minute, there were five kings that he's going to go after. This was going to be something that he's going to need not only a great strategy, but he's going to need the hand of God. Well, he goes out and he says he divides his forces against them by night, he and his servants, attack them and pursue them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. Pretty smart. He says, I'm not going to fight them in daylight. I'm going to do it at night, and I'm going to fight them from uh, behind them and in front of them, and they're not going to know what's going to hit them. And when that happens, they're going to probably be so tired from their, their labors already, they're going to take off and run, and we're going to get Lot and everything as well. And verse 16 says, So he brought back to the goods, also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the people. Now, in case you're not aware, that this should remind you of a story that's a little bit more familiar, at least it's taught often in vacation Bible school settings and Sunday school settings, is that this like, sounds like Gideon. Remember Gideon? Gideon was uh, overwhelmed, his, the whole land of Israel was, by by the Midianites. And they had about 135,000 uh, soldiers strong. And God says, I want you to conquer them. And Gideon wasn't a, per, a person particularly of strong faith. And, and so God had to convince him. And then after he convinced him, he said, okay, now I want you to go in and I want you to conquer them. However, I want you to make sure you know that I'm doing it, not you. So he took his forces, which were minimal in comparison to the Midianite, and he pared them down to a point of about, what, 300. And so what happened here, not only was Abraham a person willing to be a helper, a, a, a person of help, 
but he was willing to trust in a God who was able to do for him exceedingly abundantly beyond all that anyone could imagine for him to be able to do. And isn't that God's story? God is able to do for us what we can't do for ourselves and about the most important things in life. Things happen. Termites come, cars get wrecked, insurances don't come through, sewers get backed up, water heaters break down. But that's not what's important, is it? There are much more important things than that. And God will be a constant source of help. But then there's a response of of Abram after God doing the miraculous. Look at verses 17 uh, through 18. I mean, well, probably through 20. And it's kind of obscure, but I think there's a point we need to, to get. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shava, that is, the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Shadar Lamor and the kings who came with him. So the king of Sodom is filled with gratitude for what Abram had done. But Abram kind of just kind of gives him the cold shoulder, and someone else comes. Verse 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And what we have here is the first time a, a, the word priest is actually used in all of God's word. We're only through Genesis 15. And it's a representative, a, a person who is a go-between between the true God and man. And he's the king. He's the king Melchizedek. And we don't have time to, to do all the, the look at this unique individual in Scripture. He's basically either a type of Christ or he's Christ incarnate, pre-incarnate picture of, of Christ in the Old Testament. But what he does is he represents God. And as he represents God... Abram responds to this. He responds in a, in a way that he wants to demonstrate that he knows that Elion, the God Most High, is the one who should receive all the glory and honor for this miraculous deed being done where a, a family with an extended family was able to overwhelm five kings in all that they had done. And how did he do that? In the bottom part of verse 20, and he gave him a tithe of all. What, what is a tithe? A tithe is a tenth. And, and why do we give a tithe? In Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 and 23, it says this, You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. And you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide. The tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil, of the firstborn of your herds and your flocks. And the question is, Why? Why should I do that? And Deuteronomy 14, 23 says this, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. See, as we see God do his work, then we have a response to that. And we are to give God the credit. Now, it's not simply saying, God, thank you, and then going off our way. When Abram experienced the hand of God, and a representative of God who represented Christ who came in the New Testament as the fulfillment of all of God's revelation. He gave them a tithe, a 10% of what he had. And why do we do that? It's not because God's broke and he needs our resources, because that's what God is doing in our own heart. It is a tangible way for us 
to show to God that He deserves the credit in our life. He deserves the honor. He deserves the glory. We, we invest in Him because of all that He's given to us. It's a response to the greatness and goodness of God. So when life happens, you know, what can you do? Can you admit maybe where in your life you're part of the reason you're in the predicament you are? The reason you're in a mess is maybe there's part of what you've done you've messed up. Now, it's not all on us. We live in a messed up world. It's part of what we experience. And Jesus, when he, when he healed the lame man, the, the disciples asked him, uh, who sinned, the, the parents or him? He said, well, neither. It was to demonstrate the glory of God. And, and God did the, the glory. But in a messed up world, often, you know, we're the ones that didn't look at the paper someone gave and he put the, 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 the stuff he was writing down in his own wallet. You know, we're the ones that haven't changed the filters in our air conditioning, wondering why it's not working. We're the, one, we're the ones not checking our water heaters to make sure it's, you know, things aren't rusting out. And even the more important things are things in our lives that we just, we're just not being on top of. And then when we mess up, do we, do we send for help? Send for people who can do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And, and more importantly, send for God to do only what God can do. And then when God comes through, do we give him the credit? Interesting enough is his response to the king of Sodom. And by the way, the king Melchizedek, that really means king of righteousness. King of Salem means king of peace. And that's the only person who gives us righteousness and peace. We also need to learn to say no to anything that will not honor God. Look at what he does to the king of Sodom. Verse, verse 21. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me, your, give me the persons and, and take the goods for yourself. In other words, the, the people from my land that you rescued, you know, I want my people back, but you can take everything else. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich except only what the young men have eaten and the portion of the men who are with me. Now, what is he saying here? He said, I, I need to know, say no to something that might be rightfully mine because it will not bring honor to God. You know, we have a phrase in our, our world, to the victor deserves the, the spoil. He was the victor. And, uh, the, why would, no one would criticize him for taking what he had, he had done and, and taking advantage of it. But he wanted to stop right there because he said, if I do that, Number one, people might think I am more important than I really am. It's God who got the victory. And secondly, as they see the blessing of God in my life, they'll say, you didn't get the blessing of God. You got the blessing of Sodom on your life because he gave you all the spoil. There sometimes there are things in our life that might even be good that we say no to because those are things in our life that don't bring honor to God. There, there are two ways you can look at the character of a person. One of the things is what do they say yes to, but also what they say no to. And we need to say no to that which will not bring honor and glory to God. But what I want to end this morning with, and actually we could spend, we could spend an hour in Genesis chapter 15. But we've talked about Genesis 15 in the past. But I do want to highlight is when things happen, what should we do more, more I guess, fundamentally than anything else? We need to believe. Believe that God is able and willing to be faithful to his promise. You ever been on a spiritual high, or maybe just an emotional high, when things are just going great, and you just, I mean, it's just like life, life couldn't get any better than what you're experiencing. You know, when life happens, it's not the things that go wrong, it's things that are going right. 
and you're just overwhelmed by goodness, whether you give credit to God or whether you just credit to, to just circumstances, but things are going so, so well. But sometimes when things are going so, so well, what are you afraid of? <laughs> Tomorrow's going to happen, right? And everything that's good is going to be lost. Well, that's exactly what happened here. It is that Abraham, when he was at the height of God's power and work in his life, God has to kind of wake him up again. Look at Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, interestingly enough, the word, word of the Lord, that phrase is the first time now used in this context in the, in the book of Genesis. The idea of vision is the first time it's used in the Bible. But what's more interesting is the phrase, do not be afraid, Abram. Now, we know the angel's favorite message to anybody who ever sees an angel, which I'm not looking forward to ever see an angel, because the first time you see an angel, the first words out of an angel's mouth is, do not be afraid which means I must be in a place where there is a fearful experience. Well, Abram, right after he'd seen the power of God, God has to reveal himself and communicate to him. He says, do not be afraid. I'm thinking, Abram, what do you got to be afraid of? You just wiped out by the hand of God thousands and thousands of soldiers that had just won a war. What do you got to be afraid of? He, he was afraid of his future. And, and, and he, was think, he was afraid of what was going to happen to his legacy. He was afraid of what was going to happen next. And so God has to tell him, do not be afraid. And he goes on, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Trust me, I'm going to be there. He goes on and says, this is what I'm afraid of, verse 2. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? Saying, I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. In other words, uh, there's no one in my family is going to get what I got except someone who happens to be working for me. And God responds back, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body and shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, You shall, so shall your descendants be. So what God does is he reiterates a promise he had already given him in the past. He said, Look at it. I'm going to give you a child. And that child will become a, uh, a, a, the beginning of a great nation. And your descendants will be so immense, you won't even be able to count them. I am your shield. I am your great reward. Now, when someone says something to you, particularly if it's beyond reason, it's, it's not something you can visualize happening, but it's a very clear statement. It's a promise made by someone to you. You have one of two options. Either you can believe it or you can choose what? Not to believe it. Here was the crisis point in Abram's life. And at that point, he had just seen the presence and power of God in his life. He had just been assured by God of the faithfulness of God in his life. And so at that point, we have verse 6. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted to him for righteousness. This is the gospel. This is God's story and our story connecting. In Noah's day, it said, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and then God made him righteous. That's God's sovereignty. In this particular place, we have man's responsibility. Abraham believed God, 
And God counted it on his side of the ledger as righteousness. See, the most important thing in our life is not what's happening now, but what's going to happen forever. Is our future assured? Can we trust God that whatever's going to happen next, that God's going to be there? And Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was just kind of like us. He believed God, and then after he believed God, he started to doubt God, right? Have you ever had that? Oh, God, I'm going to do anything and everything for you. I've trusted with my life, and then life happens. And what we believe in the light, we begin to kind of doubt in the darkness. And so Abraham said, give me a sign. Can you confirm this to me? I mean, I'm not sure. I believe now, but if this is going to, if this is going to be based on my faith, I'm not sure it's going to. I'm not sure I can hold on tight enough. So God gave him that object lesson, which we've talked about in the past. You know, when God makes a deal with us, in fact, actually the word covenant has the idea of, of cutting, cutting a deal. He doesn't confirm with a handshake. He doesn't get a notary and they write it on a contract. He gives a visual here. So let's take five animals. And on those five of those four of them, we're going we're gonna to gut. We're going we're to gut them in half. We're going to go to a ravine, and we're going to put one side of the animal on one side and one side of the animal on the other side. Now, the two pigeons we got, you know, they're too small to gut, so we're going to get two of them, throw one dead pigeon on one side, another dead pigeon on the other side. And we're going to confirm this because we're going to make a, a, an oath to each other or what appeared to be an oath to each other. And the animals were there. In fact, the Bible tells us in Genesis 15 that it got to the point where, where Abraham ha- had to fight off the vultures who wanted to get to those dead animals. Abram is given a, a deep sleep by God himself. And in the night, what God does, instead of the norm, which is both people on a covenant going through the ravine, only God, manifested by a torch in, a, in an oven, goes through that ravine. And, and what he says by that, he says, may this be done to me if I don't fulfill my side of the covenant or agreement. And see, when, when we go through life and life happens we can believe that, that God will be faithful because it's God's promise. It's not our performance, it's God's promise. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think. It's, it's his reputation, it's his life, it's his character that's on the line. And even in this text, God says, this is not going to be easy. It's gonna be, for four generations, you're going to be wait for all these things to happen. It's going to be 400 years, 430 years before I actually get all this promised land, but I'm going to be faithful to the promise. Let me ask you this morning. When life happens, what do you do? Do you look first of all person and say, what have I done that maybe contribute to what, I'm, what mess I'm in? It's not always our choices, but sometimes there's some things God wants us to, to learn about what, where we've messed up. Secondly, do we, no matter how we got where we're at, do we, do we send for help as soon as we can? And when it happens, do we give God the credit? Do we learn to say no to things that, that really don't honor him? And more than anything else, do we believe that he is willing and able to do that which he has promised? The question for all of us is, do we, not only do we understand what we can do, do we do what we should do? Let's pray. Father, we, we want to, to be a people that when, when life happens, 
whether it's just the annoying or irritating things in life or, or what are the things that really shake us in our faith to the core. Whether it's a loved one in a car accident at age 18 and never comes out of the coma. Whether it's an illness that they can't diagnose the real cause for and leaves us in mystery in the present and for the future. Whether it's a financial rehearsal, whether it's a loss of a loved one, whether it's, whether it's just extreme depression or, or doubt because of unfulfilled dreams or purposes. Might, might, we, might we sin for help? And help from the one who can really meet us at our deepest need. If I pray for anyone here this morning that doesn't know you in a personal way, might, might they take that step of faith today? Say, Lord, I, I don't understand always what goes on, but I, I'm tired of running my life by my own resources. I do want to trust the Lord with all my heart and not lean on my own understanding. I want to acknowledge you in every way. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I want to follow you. Father, you've already given us so many ample illustrations of you being able and willing to do that which needs to be done. Help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we stand this morning,